Good morning, Stanford Christian Church. This is Pastor Jeremy. Today, we end our sermon series on the life of King David, the man after God's own heart. We will hear David's last words to his son Solomon, who will inherit the throne. We also look into what is most likely the most painful period of his life as his children cause chaos and hurt. Through these stories, God commends to us his ways and calls us to follow him carefully. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-4 through When David's time to die drew near, he charged his son Solomon, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong, be courageous, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commands, his ordinances, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Then the Lord will establish his word that he spoke concerning me. If your heirs take heed to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, then shall not fail you a successor on the throne of Israel. David's story highlights the value of following God's ways. Throughout his life, he can be commended for his obedience. His faithfulness leads to great victories and blessings. We also see the consequences of disobedience to God's word in his life. At the end of his life, in his last words and charge to his son Solomon, who will inherit the throne, he instructs him to obey God, to keep the charge of the Lord, to walk in his ways, and to keep his statutes. And don't miss that last phrase, so that you may prosper in all that you do. Today, we're going to view David's charge to Solomon as a backdrop for a story of the consequences of his sin. The cost of many sins boils over into a terrible time of pain and sadness in David's life and the life of the nation of Israel. Now, last week, we devoted ourselves to the story of David's best-known sin, adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. God sent his prophet Nathan and rebuked David. In 2 Samuel 12, 9-12, he declared, Why have you despised the work of the Lord, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight, for you did it secretly." But I will do this thing before all Israel and in broad daylight. While David won many victories, he neglected his family. The story begins with David's son, Amnon. He falls in love with his half-sister, Tamar, tricks her, acting like he is so severely sick so that she'll come to care for him, and then after she rejects him, he rapes her. Angry over her rejection, Amnon kicks her out of his home. While David is angry with him, He just ignores the whole situation. He loves his son, and he doesn't want to punish him. Now, we commend the virtues of forgiveness and grace and mercy. David was correct to love his son. However, where is his love for Tamar? David, as king and head of the household of his children, has the responsibility of administering justice. He neglects this responsibility. Now, maybe forgiveness is the correct road, But the wrong was Tamar's to forgive, not David's. God instructs proper authorities to administer justice. God's love for us includes justice for the victim and punishment for the evildoer. 
Romans 13 explains this most clearly in verse 4. If you do what is wrong, you should be afraid, for the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the agent of God to execute wrath on the, evil, on the wrongdoer. Why this is in the New Testament? It's written long after David's death. The principle was very much present in the Word of God before David's time. He neglects his responsibility, does not love Tamar through the worst days of her life, and does not administer God's justice as his appointed agent to do so, and this makes God himself look unjust. The principle for us to walk away with here is to love justice because God loves justice. God is just, and justice is right and good. Victims should be vindicated. Forgiveness is also good and lovely, and God is forgiving. We should forgive those who wrong us as God did. At the same time, we must love victims and the others in our community enough to see justice served on their behalf. This is loving towards victims and our communities. Justice is a deterrent put in place by God to hold the evil of this world in check. I don't have to tell you this. I know it's obvious, but there is real evil in this world, and God institutes justice to deter it, suppress it, and destroy it for the good of his people until the day comes when Jesus finally returns, judges, and ends all evil. Justice is love to both the victim and those who do good. Absalom, Tamar's full brother, is enraged by the violence done to his sister, and his father's neglect of justice. So Absalom tricks Amnon, inviting him to a feast, and kills him. David is angry with Absalom, but once again, he doesn't administer justice. Allowing Absalom to live in Jerusalem, in time, Absalom declares himself the king and rebels against David. Israel takes sides, and many join with Absalom, who is younger and more charismatic. Absalom forces David from the palace and claims his throne, riches, and his wives as his own. This fulfills the prophecies made by the prophet Nathan about the consequences of David's sin. In the end, Absalom is killed, and David reclaims the throne. Now, this is certainly a terrible union of too many different sinful actions that boils over into war. Through the prophet Nathan, God foretold that this would be the outcome of David's disobedience to God's ways. You know, parenting is exceptionally hard. I have no doubt that it's the hardest, most frustrating thing I'll ever do. Teach your children the ways of God. You as parents are the primary people responsible for discipleship and growth of your children. Grandparents, you're right in there too. It's not the church, although we play a big role. It's not the schools, although they're absolutely important too. It's us as parents and grandparents. Love your children enough to correct them when they are wrong and help them to know and follow Jesus. Love them through it all. The one thing that you cannot do is neglect or pass on that responsibility. I think that was David's failing in this story. He just neglected it all. God's words lead to goodness, peace, and joy, while disobedience leads to chaos, pain, and brokenness. David learns this truth, and he passes it on to his son Solomon. You know what a switchback is? They can be in roads or paths, whether you're driving or hiking, but it's a spot where the path goes back and forth up a mountainside. Now, they provide an interesting situation for the hiker because as you're coming down the mountainside, you look down and you see the trail below you. And it may only be 50 yards down the hillside, but to get there, you have to walk a slow, gradual slope back and forth across the hillside, probably walking 500 yards to make it to that spot 50 yards down the hill. 
It seems to make no sense. So, I'm tired, sweaty, hungry, my group is complaining, my backpack is hurting my shoulders, and I just want to get back to the trailhead and be done. So should I follow the trail, or should I cut down the steep mountainside through the wild, dense growth? The trail is there because people that know what they're doing deemed it the best way. Believe it or not, I've tried to cut the path. I've tried to stray straight down the hill. I got tangled in the thorns, spider webs all over my face, slid down a steep spot of the loose dirt. I came out battered and bruised, muddy with ticks, and it wasn't any faster. God knows the best trail through life. I know the shortcut to pleasure, peace, and happiness is, is right there, and you can see it, and it doesn't look too bad, and there's plenty of other peoples going that way, but it's a trap. God's path is there for a reason. Follow it. If you cut off the path, you will pay the price. It will hurt and leave you damaged. Jesus communicates this truth when he speaks the parable of the wise and foolish builders. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Knowing God's word begins with Bible study. You should be reading and studying the Bible. Biblical illiteracy is a massive problem in American Christianity. We hold to many pop ideas and traditional ideas and think that they are in the Bible when they're not. And we are at the whim of anyone who claims something is in the Bible because we really don't know if it's there or not. It's too important to take someone else's word. I don't want you to just internalize everything I say. I want you to test it by God's word. Study the Bible. Read good Christian books from faithful authors. Come to Bible studies and Sunday school. Listen to midweek focus that we put out each week on podcast. You, you can't follow what you don't know. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, tells another story that delivers today's point. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountainside, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and the cloud there from the cloud came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. I don't know if you caught it in the story, but some crazy stuff happened. First, two guys that lived thousands or so years ago before Jesus were there with him. And then he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Together, they're the two superstars of the Old Testament and represent the law and the prophets, the Old Covenant. They are here on this mountain with Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples want to make a place for each of them, but God speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus is the one who we're to listen to and to follow because he's not a normal man. The story of the transfiguration highlights him as more than just a man. Now, he is a man, and he's more than a man. 
God gives the disciples a special show of Jesus' glorious nature. He's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a teacher. He is God. There are so many voices out there that want to lead you. And their lies are overwhelming. Everything is trying to sell you something. The news is trying to get you to make certain decisions. Advertisements are trying to get you to make the decisions that they want. People are preaching at you to make good decisions. And people who are near to you are trying to get you to make other decisions. And, and those are just the voices that you can hear. Your desire for pleasure pushes you one way. Your fears pull you another. Your ego tells you one thing. Your insecurities tell you another. And in all these voices, there is only one thing that you can trust. He knows all your needs. He knows all the possibilities. He is the only one who will judge you in the end. The only one who raises the dead and is king of over all the kings. He's in the beginning and will be in the end forever. Listen to his voice. Trust in him and follow him. Thank you so much for listening today to Stanford Christian Church. Once again, my name is Pastor Jeremy. As always, go visit our website, www.stanfordchristianchurch.com. Once again, that's www.stanfordchristianchurch.com. Uh, once you get there, go to the Contact Us tab. Just let us know you're listening, who you are, how we could contact you, uh, how we could pray for you, uh, because we just want to be able to be there and support you, and, and thank you for listening. Also, tonight at 5.30, we will be having the Thanksgiving version of The Gathering. So if you'd like a hot meal, come out to the church. We're going to have both uh, option for you to come inside and eat as well as you can pull up on Main Street in front of our church and uh, we'll come out, find out how many meals you need and we'll bring them out to you. So you can either drive through or you can come in and eat. Either option is open. We hope to see you tonight at 530 at Stanford Christian Church. As always, have a great week. Love God, love others, and tell somebody about Jesus.